Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. My name is Sam. I am a street-level philosopher and a lifelong martial artist. And this is Southpaw. If you've been listening for a while, you know the episode length and style is based on the context of the topic. This is what I've learned from years of martial arts. There is no style. You use what's right for the situation. But you might have thought the topics were random. But actually, the episodes have been cumulative. They build off each other. And one lesson leads into the next. There's so much more you can reclaim your crown. You're in control, rid of the monsters inside your head. Part 1. What Zhuangzi taught me. Put all your faults to bed. Around 300 years before the Common Era, Chinese philosopher Zhuangzi let loose an idea into the world. Known as the parable of the butterfly, its elegance is in its simplicity. Yet it holds unlimited interpretations to anyone who thinks about it. Once you're told the parable, it seems like such an obvious thought. Yet, if no one ever told you about it, you might have never come up with it on your own. It's an inception, and it's just as powerful today as it was over 2,000 years ago. The parable of the butterfly can be told in a paragraph, yet it sparked whole college courses and countless books and movies. It is the principal theme in Christopher Nolan's Inception. Am I awake or am I dreaming I am awake? The Parable of the Butterfly Once upon a time, I dreamt I was a butterfly, fluttering here and there, to all intents and purposes, a butterfly. I was conscious only of my happiness as a butterfly, unaware that I was myself. Soon I awaked, And there I was, veritably myself again. Now, I do not know whether I was then a man dreaming I was a butterfly, or whether I am now a butterfly dreaming I am a man. Between myself and the butterfly, there must be a distinction. This is called the transformation of things. Listen, if you're going to perform Inception, you need imagination. Let me ask you something. Have you done it before? The beauty of Eastern writing is it does not try to overexplain. It does not think about the audience, because unlike the idea of a writer in the Western sense, they did not write for an audience. They wrote as a contemplative exercise to clarify their own observations, using parables and analogies. Much in the same way shorthand notes compress massive ideas. That's Eastern philosophy. Rather than domain-specific philosophy, Eastern philosophies are general systems, all purpose, all occasions. Just add imagination.
Am I dreaming I'm a butterfly? Or am I a butterfly dreaming I'm a man? If dreams are subjective, then everything must be a dream. We interpret reality in the same way we interpret dreams. We can never know for sure because the comparative bar for knowing is in itself subjective. There is no objective. Both claims are equally valid and ultimately unanswerable. So imagine the old Nintendo video game Mario Brothers. Limited colors and is only an 8-bit. So after you beat the game, you see Mario and the princess sitting on top of their castle, looking out at their kingdom. Then a caption comes up. Of course there's no way to know if we're living in a simulation or not. Because there isn't. We think they live in 8-bit, but to them, that's just reality. Compared to our reality, it's 8-bit and 2-dimensional. But to them, it's their everything. We think they have a limited color spectrum. Whereas to them, those are all the colors. Every tool they could use to try to measure their reality would be 8-bit, limited in color, and still just another icon in the same video game. Since we don't exist in their reality, we see that it's just a video game. But within the game, within the dream, you have nothing to compare it to. You know what you know, and you don't know what you don't. If you had a telescope in your dream and looked out into space, you wouldn't be looking out into outer space. You'd just be looking out onto the space of your dream. There is no way to distinguish reality from the dream. If last night, I dreamed that I was a butterfly, and the dream was so convincing that I woke up in a cold sweat. How do I now know for sure that was a dream? I could be dreaming now, dreaming that my life as a butterfly was a dream. Uncertainty, Ludwig Wittgenstein writes, The argument, I may be dreaming, is senseless for this reason. If I am dreaming, this remark is being dreamed as well, and it is also being dreamed that these words have any meaning. End quote. If we are in a dream, all of our proof is also a dream. Then we don't know anything for certain. We don't see what our eyes or even objective senses. We see what our brains. Reality is put together in our minds. Physicists currently ponder the question of whether we are all in a simulated reality. Their conclusion? We can never know, because every scientific way to measure reality would itself only be a simulation, i.e., distance would be measured by a simulated telescope, leaving it unreliable. We could be Mario and Princess Tolstool, and we'd never know it. You're dreaming, but so am I. So sure of what is real in our sleep, yet awakening awakens uncertainty. Wakefulness is a realization of our ignorance. It's the awakening of nothingness, the awareness of nothing. This can be taken two ways, that we know nothing and also the awareness that we know nothing. We are unreliable narrators. Socrates said, quote, 
The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. End quote. To know that you don't know what you don't know. Put plainly, the only true wisdom is in doubt. You can also take that multiple ways. Part 2. Awareness The name Buddha means to wake. Then enlightenment isn't advanced knowledge. It's the knowledge of how little we knew when we were dreaming. From there, we can shed our old selves and our desires. In practical terms, that means we didn't know any better when we thought that's what we wanted when we thought we were so important, so smart, and so sure of ourselves. Awareness is the knowledge of not knowing. If the Western God is all-knowing, then the Eastern counterpart is aware that it is not all-knowing. Then who between the two is wise? All-knowing means you don't know what you don't know. Not all-knowing means you know that you don't know. Someone with Alzheimer's might be all-knowing if they don't know they have Alzheimer's. They're not aware of any limits to their knowledge. This is why it's mentally ill to have a God complex. You don't know that you don't know. But we assume the opposite of enlightenment. Because we don't know what we don't know. We expect enlightenment or wakefulness to mean awakening the supergenius lurking within us which is in effect the want of the ego, the thing which keeps us sleeping. The ego's want to advance our self-interests come to life as a super genius fantasy, a god complex. This is the same fascination people have with the belief that unlocking the full capacity of the brain will make us gods. The rise of smart drugs and meditation practices for the sole purpose of hacking the mind for increased productivity and IQ are symptomatic of this subversion. Yet true wakefulness is about awakening the humility lurking within us all, the ability to put ourselves aside. Rather than unleashing the mind, it would be truer to say restraining the mind. For the mind is a good servant, but a poor master. The Eastern framework of thinking, known as Taoism, is a system that values nothingness not the accumulation of subjective bullshit. Part 3. Oneness Another valuable Eastern concept is that of oneness. You'll find that old Asian writing, when translated into English, rather than referring to the audience as you, there is no reference to an audience. They use the term one. They write for themselves 
as much as they write for anyone who may come upon their writing. It's a universal one, speaking to the stars or to a caterpillar. One is collective, an allness, a oneness. The dichotomy between the man and the butterfly is a false one. Oneness, one, is both. Just as there is no yin or yang, it is yin and yang, simultaneously. When we wake from sleep, we believe there is a difference, since dreaming is subjective and waking life is objective. But that interpretation depends on which we suppose as dreaming and which we suppose as waking. Are you listening to this now, or are you dreaming you are listening to this? According to Zhuangzi, there is no difference. This realization is part of the transformation into wakefulness. Part 4. Transformation The butterfly used to be a caterpillar. The caterpillar becomes the butterfly. One could say time buries the caterpillar into its cocoon. And when the caterpillar dies, the butterfly is born. One could call this death a new life. Two unrelated happenings. But if you zoom out, you're just observing transformation. Things change. This is a central tenet of many Eastern religions as well as Western sciences. The popular belief, however, is that things are fixed and disconnected. It's our go-to assumption and the cause of much of our anxiety and depression. But things are continuously transforming. Particles of a star can turn into particles of a rock, can turn into particles of a person, can turn into particles of a worm until infinitude. Reincarnation is a figurative metaphor, but also a literal truth. It's scientific repurposing. It is not one or the other, it's both. This is the way. In a state of constant flux, our perceptions of classifications are as silly as thinking we are the center of the universe, in an infinite universe that's infinitely expanding. There is no center is as true as we are all the center. There is no bar to compare. We are either all different or all the same, since we are all someplace in our infinite transformation. Yet our perception is, they are the same as me. And you over there, you are the other. You are different. But if that other is different, members of our own in-group are also different. If my group is the same as me, then there is no other, as they are also the same. There is no objective bar you are measuring against. It's all in your head. The implications for social justice and authentic, empathetic living is clear. The confusion lies in the transition, the transformation, as any change is jarring. Whatever is happening now is what we consider to be reality. If I am a man now, then my previous existence as a butterfly must have been a dream. But when you are dreaming, you are just as sure of your identity and of what is real. If I was a butterfly who went to sleep and is now dreaming I am a man, how would I know? That's just as likely. 
This isn't literal. This is an analogy of how we conclude reality. And reality is always based on what is now and immediate. If I took a picture of someone in bed with their eyes open, did they just open their eyes? Or were they just about to close them? The transition is elusive. There is no knowing. Am I falling asleep and entering a dream? Or am I waking up and entering reality? Both are false and both are real. There is no dreaming and there is no waking. There is only dreaming and there is only waking. Taoism is a general system. It's all of it at once. You want nuance. This is nuance. You want non-binary? This is non-binary. This is Eastern pluralism. Whatever we think is real is just a snapshot of infinite change. But you can never see the big picture. Am I dreaming I am dreaming? Or am I dreaming I am waking? A phase change in physics is when a solid changes into a liquid. Or when a liquid turns into a solid. Which is the correct form? And who decides? Is a liquid just liquefied solid? Or is solid a solidified liquid? Both are true. Ice is frozen water, and water is melted ice. And when it evaporates, it turns into gas, neither solid nor liquid. There is no one specific viewpoint that is the viewpoint. In fact, these variables have no viewpoints. Our language forces reference points, a perspective. It anthropomorphizes. It personifies. Even in these statements, I made language a being and gave it a perspective. It is the protagonist of these statements. These are the limits of language. It can never take a neutral stance. It always accuses, and it always takes a side. And from those reference points, our brain builds reality then we always panic about what's right or wrong because perfectionism requires one true reference point and everything else is wrong. In physics, this is the three-body problem, trying to triangulate three different bodies in space that are all moving while simultaneously affecting each other's movements with no fixed reference point. But that's the universe. Nothing is in stasis. Everything is subject to change. But if we accept all things as subjective reality, as yin-yang, one compound idea, not yin or yang, two dueling ideas, it helps us to live with less worry, to stop judging and live in the present and embrace it for what it is. Knowing what we think we know, this is ego. To know that we don't know, this is awareness. After all, is what we consider reality the same reality to a bat who shapes the world through its ears? And what is sound without an atmosphere? What is sight and sound without sensors that only work in atmosphere? Then how much are we missing because of the lack of the right sensors? Part 5. Living. Dying. Living. 
dreaming and waking life are often metaphors for dying and living. Zhuangzi is positing that there is no difference. Are we the living thinking about death, or are we the dead remembering living? We call death the big sleep. Yet, how do we know living is not the dream? How do we know we're not sleeping now? And what we suppose is death is just the act of waking up. There is no way to know. All we know for sure is that we exist. This is both a scientific and philosophical truth. French mathematician Rene Descartes pondered the same notion, yet he concluded that it was easier. To imagine oneself as a ghost without a body, than a body without a ghost, for a body without a ghost, an inner self, would not be able to imagine anything at all. We get fixated on the physical as a reality, as it is outward. We can see it and touch it, but the mechanism that sees and feels is intangible. It's inward. It is what interprets reality. Then, is that not more real? Consciousness does not mean soul; it means subjective experience, or perhaps the soul is not supernatural at all. It is just a record of our subjective experiences. If you look like someone from the past, you don't think of yourself as a continuation of that person, or even with children, even though they are literally the amalgam of two parents. We don't consider this to be a genetic equivalent to eternal life. Why? Because this does not transfer the memory of subjective experience. Having the heart of a donor, the arm of a donor, or even the face of a donor, even though that's a real, material, tangible part of another person, we don't consider any of these things the soul or a continuation. But when someone says they have memories of someone from the past, then we consider this the past life, a continuation of the soul. If we can upload our memories to a server, we consider this to be a true continuation of ourselves, more than having children does. But is that all we are? Memories? That's also limiting. We are both our memories and the material of our physical bodies. But we can transfer our memories to others, like children. We can transfer the material of our bodies to others, like children. We can exist in others, physically and spiritually. Why is it so important to dream? My dreams were still together. Am I a human being? Or a being, human. A butterfly who believes he is human, or a human who believes he is a butterfly. For human is the name of the physical species, but being means inner essence. To make it clearer, are we a being wearing the skin of a human, or a human who has an inner being? In our everyday speech, we claim both. Human being, humanness, and beingness. Yet, we never take the time to recognize what we've been saying, and don't remember how we began to claim both. 
Perhaps this used to be the way. Plural thinking. Perhaps we fell into a dream and forgot we were dreaming. The film Inception asked, If I only trust the outer world of the senses to be real, how do I know my mind isn't just tricking me? The world is however my mind narrates it to be. But what if my mind is an unreliable narrator? This was the inception, the great dream deception. There is no way to know if we are in a dream, and that's how the movie concluded. There is no other conclusion that could be justified. The breath of someone we love may leave, but the material of their being will exist and continue to exist. It has transformed, and one day it will be a part of something else. It will not stay in a state in which we last knew it to be, since it has transformed. But things change. We change. Why is one right and one wrong? Scientists may say, there is no morality of right or wrong in death. Western religious scholars may say death is just a transformation to become closer to the one. Or in the case of all religions, communion with universal oneness. We add rightness or wrongness when fear tints our perceptions. How is this not subjective? How is reality not a dream? Dreams are subjective then wakefulness is the release of fear, to see what eyes unclouded. This episode itself is a deception. I didn't write this to teach you the ways of Zhuangzi. This is a paraphrasing of the many conversations I had with my mother as she lay dying on a hospital bed. I transcribed it here so that as my memory fades, as my subjective reality fades, I can remember what it was I said to her before she died. And now it'll exist here, longer than my material being. I told her not to be afraid to close her eyes, because when she closes them here, she'll be opening them up on the other side whatever side that may be. She was always a free spirit. And all this was merely her dreaming of the time she wore human clothes. You're alone, you're on your own. So what have you gone blind? Have you forgotten what you Why I chose this as our final conversation, I don't know. It's all that occurred to me, the parable of the butterfly, and I thought it gave her comfort. But that was her great deception. She said, I'm happy I have a son who can see the world as you do. I thought I was comforting her, but she was really comforting me. 
She wasn't thinking about herself. She was worried about me. I gave her solace by letting her know that I could carry on, that I could let go. I thought for a moment I was her, I was her parent, but that was just a dream. She will always be my mom. The Southpaw Project is supported entirely by listeners like you. If you want to support the work that we do, then become a paid monthly subscriber on Patreon.com/southpawpod. The more supporters we have, the more time we can dedicate to the show. You can also do one-time donations at co-fi.com/southpawpod. We also have T-shirts and sweatshirts to not only flex the show but your own moral compass. We can't exist without your support. You're in control, rid of the moon.